me a favor. You read this to me. He who has felt the deepest grief is best able to experience the supreme happiness. We must have felt what it is to die that we may appreciate living. On your knees! After years of oppression, unfair oppression, sweet revenge. Welcome, 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 welcome to Lovecraft Aftermath. This is your carefree black nerd review over the melanated horror suspense genre breaking show Lovecraft Country. I am your host, Rain Coleman, and I am solo of the dolo today. So when you're listening to this episode, please use that hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath. When you're watching Lovecraft Country live or on a repeat viewing, use that hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath. And let's make this a conversation. I want to hear your thoughts, your opinions, what's going on in that mind of yours. And uh, listen to what's coming on in my nerdcraft mind of my own. (laughs) All right, y'all. So this episode is season one, episode six. Meet me in Daegu. I think I said that correctly. <laughs> now, in the throes of the Korean War, nursing student Ji-A crosses paths with a wounded Atticus, who has no recollection, 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 recollection of their violent first encounter. <sighs> okay, so this episode, uh, just kind of getting right out there in front of it, a lot of the critiques and criticisms that I've heard about this episode is that it was boring, is that it was slow, is that it was pointless. Uh, it's art, so it's meant to be critiqued, and so I'm not going to say that those are wrong opinions. Uh, I just think that, and this might be just a side effect of me having read the book, though this episode was not original to the book, it is original to the series. I think that the way in which the story is being told, I don't think you can say that this episode is boring until the season is over. And I say that, well, if it's your opinion, of course, it's boring to you. But I think that with this show and with the way the Easter eggs have been dropped and one some shit from one episode kind of leads into the next and or two or three episodes from now. I mean, we saw that with Ruby and Dale, uh, a.k.a. Hillary. You know, so I just feel like though this isn't original to the novel, it still seems like it's a lot going on within this story. So we meet Jiha. She's in a theater, and I think this is in 1948 or 49, and she's watching a motion picture, color, full color, no black and white. She's, you know, enjoying it. There's a couple that's kind of fooling around, maybe a row or two over from her, and they leave, and she gets up and starts showtiming it up. She's, I don't know, kicking up her legs. She's singing. She's doing the... Tootsie Fruits, whatever the shit they did back in the day. She's doing that. And it ain't like, oh my God, this actress, the way in which Jamie Chung is playing Jihad, though this person isn't original to the book, I she pulled me in. She pulled me in and she she got me. So 
uh, we go to the fall of 1949. Homegirls with her mama in in their home in Korea. Uh, she's in this nice little. I don't know what this is called. It is. It looks like traditional Asian garb. I don't know what it's called, but to me, it looks like a romper with this little like rogue from the X Men half jacket. It's a good look. I bring that up because fashion, the fashion of the fifties, uh, has been such a big part of the show, a character in it of itself. For me, not being Asian and not being intimately familiar with the culture, but like kind of on the outskirts. To me, this looked good. Now, for someone else who's a part of the culture, they may have critiques or those who study uh, fashion or study period pieces or whatnot, but I think it looked good. So we get her and her mother talking, and they're pretty much talking about, you know, her and her life, and Jiha is like, you know, hey, uh, no, her mother's like, yeah, we're disgraced or some shit, some shit about being a family being disgraced. And it sounds as if, their father, their father, Jia's father may have left them. And Jia's like, look, when I get this degree, mama, I'm going to bring all of the good shit back to our family. We're going to be in demand. Bitches going to want us. And her mom was like, no, what's going to uh, bring us honor is if you bring a man home tonight. And so that the first scene really fucked with me because, again, this is a fictional show. But it's very much tied to the reality of the world in that time period. Adding in the supernatural element of ghosts and monsters and whatnot. Because I'm not Asian, and because I'm only sort of familiar with this culture, I have to take the things that they're telling me as, you know, truth, at least truth for this show. And so when she said that, I was thinking, okay, are you, are you saying that because there's no man in the home... Again, me assuming that her dad left the family, like they're disgraced, like she's no good because there's no man in the house. So if you, Jiha, get with a man, by your powers combined, we're now honorable again. So then we get Jiha in her, uh, she's a nurse. Of course, she's in nursing school, talking with her homegirls. And you can see the difference between Jiha and the rest of the nurses. Not... How do I put this? They are very much have their own personalities, as people do. But because they're in uniform and they're all nurses and they're all in this one space, you would expect for perhaps like a mean girl effect where everyone is the same. Jiha, her acting, her mannerisms, the way in which she speaks even, I think compared to the rest of the women, is very apparent that they're different. And so they're like opening up a cadaver and working on it and they're talking about meeting these men and going to this little like speed dating thing which is like you know who knew so we get jiha and it's from her point of view she's sitting down and it's a speed dating so all the women are one side all the men on the other side and at the time of the you know the bell goes off and then you move and i love that you get this woman who we've already established is so different from the rest of the women in her in her station, not just Asian women or women in the 1940s, specifically all of these women who she's nurses with. So she's Asian, they're nurses, they're in this same, like they have so much in common and she's so far removed from them. So we even get, though there's two tables, like long uh, lunchroom tables, and the women on the left side, the men on the right side, even the way in which they frame this scene, 
when you look at the two tables that are in frame, the the table on the left has all of the nurses that we were just introduced to. And the table on the right, though it has other nurses as well, the focus is on Jiha sitting right at the end. So even within the framing of this scene, you see that she's othered. She's not next to any of these women, which I enjoyed that uh, as far as storytelling. And so we meet three different guys and you see how she acts very differently with each one like she maybe amplifies a part of herself she's quoting movies uh then she gets the guy who's like i guess kind of a nationalist he's like japanese spent all these years eradicating our traditions and culture and you want to spend time uh, consuming american culture american propaganda like he on her head and so there's like this little bingo card where you x off who you don't want to fuck with or you circle who you do she's 31 they keep xing off 31 like it's so so you get to a point where you're like, okay, she gets to this last guy and she's speaking to him and he, she's, I think she delivers like a little monologue. And so he's listening and he's, he, he looks plain. And when I say that, I mean, he isn't, not his attractiveness. He's just very much looking at her plainly. He isn't smiling. He isn't frowning. He's just listening to her. And then they get to bonding over like movies and shit. So Fuck this show because now you sucker me in. First of all, you made me care for Jihad. You see that she's other, which is automatically going to make people um, uh, um, root for her. Then you get her in this situation. You give her an asshole that kind of cusses her ass out. Then you give us this nigga, and he's like, uh, they're having such a good conversation, but he still marks her off. Like He's like, nah, I ain't fucking with you. Now, the funny thing with that is that nobody's obligated to give you their time. So in the real world, since I get, you can like whoever you like or whatever, but the way in which they're telling this story, it was like a punch in the gut. Like, nigga, you sitting here, you're the saving grace of all this shit that we've just been dealing with. And now it's just shit after shit piled on top of her. So the, the, uh, the, the speed dating ends. We end with all the other nurses having a date, but G.I., she doesn't have a date. So then homegirl, who we saw initially, who's kind of like the the head chick in charge. I'll say like the Regina George type. Not that she's a mean girl, but she's like the alpha chick. And she's like, hey, come on, you can come with us. G.I.'s like, nah, man. Three's a crowd. I don't want to be third wheel. She was like, yeah, he's dumb as shit, but he... You know, he's something to look at. So, just you know, we can come look. You ain't got to be whatever. So, they, she's like, all right, bet. We finna do this. So, her and the girl have a little connection, which surprised me because I assumed from that first scene that they weren't really fucking with Jiha like that. But this chick, and forgive me, I forget her name, her and Jiha seem to be pretty cool. Though she talking shit about Jiha's socks. I mean, rightfully so, but fight for the time period, I think they fit. Her socks ugly as shit, though. So they go out to the bar. You see all this dancing. What I want to point out here is that I love this episode and I love these scenes. Because as a black man growing up in America, the imagery that I get and that I consume growing up was predominantly white. And when it was black or other, it was very much stereotypes or tokens. And then we got into a period like in the 90s where it was like an abundance of TV shows and cartoons and whatnot. I will say at my big age, I still have to seek out entertainment that has Asian leads. I have to seek out entertainment. It's not right there in your face. It's not like new Netflix series, all Asian cast, uh, sci-fi, rom-com in your face. So to get this episode and to have it be 
99.7% an all-Asian cast. I enjoyed that. Yes, you plop that down right in the middle of a show that is predominantly black, but yet and still, I think this is this is really needed. And I also like that they spoke, they did not speak English for the entire episode. That's another thing I enjoyed. Um, me, I'm used to watching anime anyway, sub, dubbed, or whatever, so reading subtitles on the screen has never been an issue for me. Um, I, I, I would venture to say that that is probably a lot of people's critique. Um... And I mean, it's, if it's not for you, it's not for you. But to for someone to say that this episode was boring or that it didn't mean anything or that we went through a whole hour and we only learned these two things, for me, it's like, what is your real complaint? Because if your complaint is with the content or I guess my thing is being able to stand up and um, stand behind your opinion. And have it be in more than just, oh, it was subtitles, so that's boring. Or, oh, we got this Asian cast in the middle of a show that was all, you know, predominantly black. Like, things of that nature, I feel like, are not, for for personal opinion, sure, it can be boring to you. But you can't write this episode off because of those things. Um, we are rooting for Jihad this whole time. She, at the club, she finds this guy. He, to me, he looks... He looks older than her, like substantially older, but then I don't know. I don't know. She looks like she's maybe, let's say, 23. He looks like he's a good 37 or maybe 42 at the absolute oldest. I don't know. So, you know, she take him to the house. Another thing I like, she took her shoes off. Culturally, that's not something that's, that I, I feel like they... For me, on the outside looking in, handled these this episode really well for me as someone who's not Asian. And it wasn't, it didn't feel stereotypical. Now, again, I'm coming from a particular background, a particular place where I could be 100% wrong in facts, but right in the way I feel. So if someone is listening and you feel like, oh, they did a shit job with this episode or they were horrible with representation, please feel free to let me know. Use that hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath or LCCPod. The reason being is because I only know so much. I don't have this lived in experience to be like, yeah, my grandma used to do this all the time. No, I'm not an Asian man. I'm a black man. I'm an African-American man. So... Homeboy, first of all, Jiha looking bad as hell. Bad isn't good. She take her clothes off. She get on the bed. She lie down. Homeboy, they cut the camera to him. This nigga is taking every piece of clothing off. So what I like about this scene is that though they are both nude, nude where the way that they edited and shot this scene was very tasteful, where Jiha is completely naked. And when you see her on the bed, you see her breasts, and the way she's turned when homeboy gets naked and walks around the bed, they did a really good job with their angles and shit because this dude is buck naked, but you're only seeing down to maybe his navel. Then even his backside, you only get like, I don't know, maybe an inch of his butt crack. I say that because I think this is a very tasteful way that they did this scene. He get on top of her. They go at it. Fucking, he getting it in. He trying to give her a baby, it looks like. Jiha face is beautiful, but Blank as fuck. She looking at him like, all right, man, come on. So I'm thinking, dang, Jihad, everybody shitting on you this whole episode. Uh, your mama talking shit. Your homegirls at school talking shit. These motherfuckers who you been on the speed end with, they talking shit. And you get this nigga and you finally like, 
what we assume as an audience is you finally get a dude and you about to sleep with him and now the sex is terrible. I'm like, damn, you got bad sex? No! This motherfucker is a monster. She's a fucking cat of nine tails or something. She laid back, these fucking tails come out. Her eyes, her ears, her nose, her... I'm assuming her vagina and her ass and it sucks into this nigga and she come on her mouth. This thing is, she sees flashes. And so for me as an audience member, I, I thought she was, I thought he had gotten her pregnant and she was like maybe stealing his essence or what I thought she was like stealing something from him. Because when we got these different flashes, they used this actor, the man she's sleeping with, to play his father. So you could, so I guess most people would have recognized that when we see him, that's his dad. I'm still kind of confused. Or else we see him in the past, so we see his whole life, and then he explodes. Now that switches the shit on his head where I'm rooting for her because she's the good guy now it's like oh shit what the fuck are you like I see you're a monster we've been exposed to monsters and shit so far but what is this that we're looking at with you Jiha turns out she wasn't pregnant she was just seeing flashes of his life uh, her mama come in she's like alright good now we need one more or, or three more or some shit like that and I'm like damn mama okay so y'all doing all this shit pretty much over the course of this episode we get Jiha dealing with her desire to like be around movies, maybe to be in movies, to consume movies. This is her getaway because her real life, you're a nurse in the middle of a Korean war and you're not only administering aid to your people, it's also to the folks who want you dead. Um, There's an earthquake while she's in the theater. Everyone walks out and it's like, Summer of 1950. So this is a few months after the last scene. And it's a bunch of soldiers walking in. Her life has changed. Mama's still like, you need to get some more of these niggas. Uh, some of these men. Because we need, we, I need my daughter back. Once you consume a hundred of these men, the spell is broken and I get you back. So what we find out is that Jiha was violated by her father when she was a child. Now, I think it was her father or was it her stepfather? I, I, I want to go with father because thinking back on the episode, I don't think I don't think the distinction was made that it was a stepfather. So I think it was her biological father. So that being said, what happened is after that uh, incident happened, it's assumed or it may have been explicitly said that her mother pretty much prayed to or conjured up whatever this spirit is, this monster that is within Jiha and to like protect her. And that being said, like the condition is now with this thing inhabiting her body, she has to absorb a hundred men in order to return back to normal. And you get the sense that her mother doesn't have the affection and love for her. Like she maybe would have if this never happened. So, she was like, is this why you summoned me? Like, why why are you here? And she thought, like, you know, this should happen. I summoned you to protect you. But she's not even treating Jiha like she's her daughter. Because to the mother, which I think her name is Suma or Suna, the mother sees Jiha as she is now as that monster that she prayed to or, or, or conjured or however that worked. 
and that it's just inhabiting her daughter's body until she meets that 100 person quota 100 man quota because okay i'm sorry to walk it back the monster was summoned to to not give revenge to pretty much to get revenge on on terrible men that's what it is so gi's like all right man whatever we go back to the hospital Motherfucker, this dude need to get his leg broke off. He fighting. He pushed her. I think she got blood on her. It's this, it's this whole... No, he pulled her arm back. So it's this whole chaotic-ass scene. Now, for people who are like, oh, you know, we went through the whole hour and nothing happened. And I'm like, what do you mean nothing happened? Like, we're getting this woman's life. We're getting her life before she meets Atticus and after she meets Atticus. For me, because this deviates so far away from the book... The way I saw this episode was as a kickoff for the next arc or for the rest of the uh, season. This ep- this season has 10 episodes. This is episode 6. The first arc is pretty much, I'll say pretty much done, even though there isn't like a, a, a definite arc. But the first half is already over. We're now moving into the next half of the season. And not one episode is pointless. There are things in episode two. Shit, there are things in episode one that relate to this episode here. Like, there's so many moving parts that though this may not have been as entertaining of an episode for you, I don't see how this would be boring. I, I just don't see that myself. So, Jiha and her homegirls talking. Um, she's talking about how different she is. Uh, the girl. The girl is a communist sympathizer. And... Jiha, of course, is talking about how her mother wants to change her. Not giving specifics, but just change the monster that's within her. And they're going back and forth with this very much like empowerment speech. Like, Jiha's like, look, I ain't gonna tell nobody who that who you is, which you is. You're still my friend. Homegirl's like, look, don't let your mama motherfucking change you. Be you. You can't live for your mama, which is sound advice. Don't let your parents change you. Let them help you with listen to their advice. But at some point, you have to be your own person. Um, so there was a communist... A truck pulled up and he was hung, lynched. This is something that I knew was a common practice, but for my American brain, my black male in America brain, seeing this Asian man lynched by a group of people really fucked with me. Like it, it took a, a few seconds for me to be like, oh, this is real. Like this is some things that have happened. This isn't just. Um, um, magical shit they threw in for the show. Like, these are things that happen. And lynching isn't signature to just black people. But again, me being a black man in America, this is the the kind of stream of conscience that my mind went through while watching this scene. And so homegirl, best friend, was like, hey, these soldiers, look at this. They just saw them hang this man and they ain't do shit about it. I'm pissed. Like, communist sympathizer or not, look, this is what the fuck going on with me. So, Jiha looks back and she sees three American soldiers. Homeboy is smiling at her. And you can tell that she's agreeing with homegirl, with best friend. Like, hey, what the fuck? Y'all ain't do shit. Y'all got guns and rifles and shit. So, she, it's inferred that she took this dude home. Short white guy. Uh, conventionally attractive. Whatever. He gets no speaking lines. And Mama's like, hey, you just need one more. We just need one more. Big money, big money. Get one more dude. Kill that motherfucker and we done. So this is where they, I think, have the full conversation about the dad. And Mama and Jiha kind of going at it. She's like, look, man, you got 99 dudes. You need one more. And so Jiha, 
gets to cuss the tour. Like, what the fuck do you get from this? Like, I, I hear you. You've been saying this shit forever. Mama's like, I want my daughter back. Jihad's like, your fucking daughter is gone. Like, I'm I'm me. This is this is what I am. This is who this is who I'm is. She didn't say that, but so mom's like, you know, I only wanted to protect my daughter. That's why I conjured this spirit. Uh, the the sh- the shaman or shaman um, said that there would be a price, which I'm like, everybody know there's a price to magic. Everybody, like you can't get something for nothing. So Jihad's uh, like the shaman who you summon and put uh, who who summoned me. These memories are not mine. The shit that you see, because mom's like, I can see my daughter in the way you smile and do certain things. She's like, no, this is things that I remember. Things is memories from your daughter that I have that I'm mimicking. I'm like, I'm not your daughter. She's like, oh, my daughter's buried deep beside you, and I know she's there. I want her out. Once she become human, she'll get her memories back, and we, you know we'll be back together. And I love her, and she loved me, and you know I'm gonna see her soon. Jiha covered in blood in a robe is like, sis, this ain't what it is. I told you, I'm this monster. This is what I am. You not, you not changing what the fuck I got going on here. Uh, and she gives her a really good like Shonda Rhimes type speech where it's like, look, you did this shit for you. Like you didn't protect your child. Everything that you see that I'm doing is memories. Like, she sang a little song or hummed a little tune. And mom was like, oh, yeah, see, that's how she said. No, nigga, this is the song that your scared daughter. Like, when I, how do I say this? When the spirit of this monster took over, it had access to the daughter's memories. This is the song that she would sing. Like, I'm mimicking her. I'm not her. And all of this is because of you. You wanted some... Oh, so, no, that's absolutely right. So, this is where we find out that the man wasn't her father. It was her stepfather. Because she's like, yeah, this man was able to prey on you because he saw you so desperate for honor that he could swoop white in and you would give him whatever he wanted. Which, to me, sounds a lot like... um, What's that Tyler Perry movie with Lynn Whitfield and her light-skinned daughter and her dark-skinned daughter and Shamar Moore's braided wig lace front? Um... Shit, y'all know what I'm talking about. If you remember, uh, leave me a comment. Lovecraft Aftermath, after the Tyler Perry movie, but it feels a lot like that. But I love that scene because Jihad gave it to her. Like this is what it is. Like we're so th- throughout the course of the first like I don't know half of the episode, you go from sympathizing with Jihad, seeing her, she's downtrodden, you're like rooting for her. Then it kind of switches on his head, and you see that she's actually the villain when she kills Homeboy. But then you see through this conversation in the one before that she's not even the villain. It's like, this is something that happened to her that she has no control over. And it's in this monster's nature to take care of these bad men, killing them or whatever. So um, I, it's, it, I like it again for, for people saying, Oh, I don't understand what the fuck we didn't need to know about her. This didn't need to, you know, happen and fuck her. I get it. I get it. We had five episodes of a solid story that we were following. So we didn't get all the nurses, lined up out in the, I don't know, dirt somewhere. And there are some soldiers, there are some black men, and they are um, pointing guns at them. They're like, hey, this shit is leaked. We got a, a communist sympathizer because the information that was leaked was given at this time on this day and this and that, and we traced it back to this shift. Who is it? Who's the communist? So homegirl, everybody crying. This nigga put a gun in her head, pull the trigger, kill her. Then... 
you know, Gian's scared, everybody nervous, Gian best friend next to each other. So then the homeboy come over to the next chick and he's like, Who the fuck is the sympathizer? Blows her fucking brains out. She's right next to Gian, blood spattered all over her. And we see Atticus. Atticus points his gun at Jihad, best friend jumping away, and she's like, It's me, it's me. I'm the I'm the I'm the communist. It's me. They punch her in the head. Jihad is fucked up. This is where I think the show gets a, a bit more interesting. She's crying, she's sad, she's upset. They're taking her best friend off. The homegirl is dead, that's for one. And then Jihad then goes to the theater. The theater's burned down. It no longer, it's, your escape is no longer there. Then we go to the hospital, and she's still having to help these motherfuckers who just killed her best friend. Clothes covered in blood. Side note, every scene that these nurses weren't like at the movie theater or date night or whatever, their clothes are covered in blood. How are you getting these pristine white and light blue nurses' uniforms clean every day? Because we see them covered in blood, then the next time we see them, they're perfectly fine. Then they're covered in blood. I'm like, God damn, what type of laundry detergent do y'all got over there? Send it here. Shit. So then she sees Atticus laid up. He's one of the soldiers who needs treatment. She walks out. She's crying. She gets on the side of the building. It's raining. She's like catching her breath. Pretty much she's hatching her plan. She gonna get this motherfucker. He might not have pulled the trigger, but you killed my best friend. So she uh, gets to talking to him. So we see another side of Atticus as well. I was excited for this episode because I wanted to see what was a pre-episode one Atticus like. A theory that I had prior to this episode airing is that although it was fun and colorful and fantastical, that opening scene in season in episode one, when I look back on the episodes that we've watched so far, I said to myself that opening sequence was some kind of way Atticus mind disassociating from his body. My logic was after we got that note that Jihad um he, him and her was on the phone last episode. I said, okay, Atticus might be dead or Atticus went through some trauma in the war that made him a different person than who we see, uh, in episode one. And so though it was all fun and beautiful and red woman from the sky and Jackie Robinson, I was like all the things that he loved. That was like the moment that his body, his mind started separating. Now that could probably still be true. I don't know that it is, but it looks as if that was just an opening sequence. But again, with this show, everything ties into something. Jihad and Atticus developed some, I don't want to say a, a friendship, but he's in need. She's there. She's a nurse. So she's taking care of him. It's not like a Nightingale thing, but he starts to take a liking to her. Initially, to me, it didn't seem romantic. It seemed like, okay, this is a nice woman. I'm around all these dirty soldier brothers brethren she's nice to me if that's what it felt like and then it kind of grew into something more uh we got a young man who i believe is japanese and japanese american and he was talking about hating the war and like over in america he's called one thing one derogatory thing and then over here he's also called this derogatory thing so he can't win and Jihad's like, well, you know, why the fuck are you in a war? Like, why are you here at all? He's like, I got drafted. Ask this motherfucker talking about Atticus. This motherfucker did it just because it was fun. And so I like that scene. It's probably one of my favorite because I don't get a lot of media with Asian representation. And though this is kind of sort of a period piece, um, it's still giving me more insight into a culture that I'm not 
intimately familiar with. Uh, Homeboy was only on screen for like maybe two to three minutes, but it still was a good scene, I thought. Atticus and Jihad end up developing a relationship. She still wants to kill this motherfucker. Um, and she tells him like, you, you killed my, no, no, we ain't there yet. So he, um, they talk about movies and how she wants movies and she kind of spoils a book for him, but she spoils the book from the movie adaptation. So he lets her finish and then he counters with, you should read the book because it ends differently. So it was a nice little bonding scene. So he, uh, invites her to. I don't know what this is. The 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 barracks? I don't know. Wherever they are, the soldiers are housed. And so you can only apparently come into that space as an Asian woman if you are like a sex worker. And so, because I was like, why are these men yelling all this like freaky shit at her? And I know we're in the 50s, so whatever. It was a different time. But this felt excessive. This felt like, why are you giving her sexual shit and not racist stuff? Because I feel like it would have made more sense for them to say something racist to her than all of this. And she was like in a big ass coat. I'm like, man, she. So homeboy explained like you can only come here if you like are a sex worker. She walks into this tent looking for Atticus. And he set up this little romantic movie night where they're playing a film from some chick that she was in. She likes, I don't know, some, some actress, whatever. And so they have a little movie night. And this kicks off a really beautiful like relationship. They're together. They're, they end up having sex, um, well, getting ready to have sex, and Atticus is like, hey, nah, we can't do this, uh, this is my first time, he's like, well, it ain't my first time, he's like, well, I don't judge you, I'm just like, I'm a virgin though, like, so chill, and she couldn't have sex with him, he left, so, um, this is important, because mom comes in, she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you, bitch, like, you just needed one more motherfucking soldier, what the hell, so this is another part, where I'm like, how could you watch this, and be like, this shit boring, so we learn that, Jihad, feels something for Atticus, I don't think she says she loves him right away, but she's like, I feel something for him, and she's talking to her mom, and she's like, hey, you talked all this shit, like, about me not being lovable and me never being able to feel, cause and and you and when you hear that, you do get the sense that in the beginning of the episode, she was kind of acting, mimicking, putting on, uh, like when she was on the dates, and when she's singing and dancing in the movie theater, it feels like it's her escape, but it also feels like I'm, I'm, I'm just copying things that I've seen before, and. So she he leaves. I mean, Mama leaves as she cuts her out, and uh, Jihad goes onto the base. And she's talking to Atticus, and they're talking back and forth about being bad people. You killed my best friend, and he feel like shit, and she feel like shit. He like you done shit too, and she's like, just because we're done bad things, don't mean we monsters. Though he's speaking figuratively, she's speaking literally, and I like that this isn't some great. Everything is good romance. They go through shit. Like within this hour, you've we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot. And it's convincing to me. It was good pacing, good storytelling. And Jihad's pretty much like, look, I hate you've killed my best friend. You've done terrible things. I've done terrible things. But what I hate more is that I I have feelings for you. And that's such a strange space to be in. Me being a comic book consumer. This isn't the first time I've seen something like this, but I think with this show, this was a very good 
thing to include into their relationship because it's showing us that Atticus is not perfect. Yes, he's the leading guy. He's the protagonist. Um, and he's the one we're supposed to be rooting for. But he has things in his past that are not great. So even with him being a part of this camp that murdered her friend, that doesn't mean he's not redeemable. That doesn't mean that, that he you need to just throw him away. And the fact that him and Jiha then find this wonderful romance like they actually they have sex like she doesn't pull out her monster shit like they actually have sex they enjoy each other he loses his virginity to her they have this 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 romance that is storybook romance novel type shit i like that because though a lot of people i saw didn't like this episode you can't deny that we've got a whole nother side of Atticus that we hadn't before yeah we could say he was in a war and he went through shit and he did bad things but we're seeing what happened in Korea. And aside from the war stuff, we ultimately see him going through what I'll assume is his first supernatural experience, his very first one. Uh, that is with Jiha. So they have sex. We cut to uh, Jiha and her mama. And Jiha is pretty much saying, like, hey, you said nobody got feelings for me. And they do. I got feelings for this dude. So what I'm thinking is you said all that shit to me so you can give yourself a reason not to love me, not to have feelings for me, not to care for me. Atticus care about me. This motherfucker care. And if he can, you can too. Which again, I feel like this was really good. Though this isn't the show that we've been watching, so to speak. Um, I think it's good. But mama com comes back with once he find out what you is, he not gonna fucking love you. And it's like... Though this is a fantastical monster that we're dealing with, this can be applied to so many different situations. We could say if it was colorism, we could say if it was faking like you're wealthy, it could say maybe you having children and not uh, expressing that to the person you're dating right off or having some sort of secret, be it something extreme like I killed my twin brother or be it something minor like, you know, I don't drive a Lexus, I drive a, I don't know, a hoopty. Like, I feel like this this situation could be applied so easily to so many things, and they played that so well, where even mom, like, you were kind of put off from her from the beginning because the way she's talking to Jihai, and then once you discover the truth, it's still like, damn, you're still a terrible person, and yeah, Jihai is right, you could have loved her. So then we go forward to the winter of 1950, so it's been approximately a year. We see this beautiful scene between Jihai and Atticus and how they're together, they're in love, they're hanging out, they're at her house, they're reading books and shit, and this, he's over her shoulder, face kind of like right up on her ear, she's reading, he kisses her, it's a very beautiful series of events, his face looks a little worried, well you know he always look worried, but he says to her like I gotta tell you something, with the war shit I earned enough points to go back home, and she's like, you know, all right. And she's taking it in the stride. He's like, you know, well, I don't got to go back. I can stay. She's like, I can't have you stay for me. You know, I, who, what what kind of woman would I be if I did some shit like that? And, uh, but to take it back a bit, the story that she's reading to him is about this spirit with nine tails that come in and, you know, kill evil men and whatever. And we get into this conversation and you can see the stress, the stress in her in her voice, in her face, like she's, to me, this read that this man that I love has the opportunity to go home. I can't stand between him and his home. 
I'm going to let him go. And so when they get to having sex again, there's a difference in Jihad's face. If you notice when she slept with that first guy, then when she slept with Atticus for the first time at the theater, and then you see her face now, it's like before it was a blank, blind face. You know, she did what she did. This time, this last time, it's like she she let herself go. It wasn't this blank, plain face. And I think within her having this sexual experience with him and losing herself, where before she could control these nine tails that come out and, and suck the life out of, out of men, it kind of got away from her. Now, she realized that in time to kind of pull these appendages back into her body, but by that time, which is so odd, I'm going to get graphic for a second. Uh, because I think this is important for whoever hasn't seen the episode. Jiha is on her back. Atticus is above her. Atticus is not laying on top of her. He has her left leg pulled up and he's kind of upright. Like if you were just on your knees. And, you know, they're going at it. They're having sex. And so the tail started to come out of her body. And whereas the first man, he was on top of her and it was whatever it was the first time we saw it it was visceral it happened i think with him being upright like this and the way that they're shooting this from behind her where she's like pulling in these tails into her body if he was on top of her like parallel it would i don't think it would be as dynamic of a shot uh, also i think it speaks to like his sexual um not capacity his sexual Ness, for lack of a better term, versus the other guys that she'd been with. Because we haven't seen her with somebody in this way. So, the things attached to Atticus, they start doing this thing where she is seeing his whole life. And this is another very important part of the episode. So, the shit come out, sucked into him. We see him as a child with his mom, beautiful with a balloon, reading a book with them big ass glasses. And then we see Montrose whooping his ass in the kitchen. Then we see him holding an Asian woman's head while they pull the teeth out of her mouth. And I think that was her best friend. I think. And then between him struggling and G.I. G.I. pulling back the appendages, we he flips up off of her. He's on the floor going through it. She's going through it trying to compose herself. And the flashes are still coming. So we see him in bed with a black woman. We see him... Uh, getting a, a ticket to Chicago. We see him getting on a bus. We see him going back. We see him being baptized. We see Letty. We see him in this contraption uh, that to me does not look like the the Sons of Adam ritual. This looks different because there is no robe. I don't know. This just looks very different. Now, I could be wrong. Let me know if you guys uh, can confirm or deny. Lovecraft Aftermath is the hashtag. But we see him going fucking through it and then she though is quote-unquote the villain or the bad thing in this scene she's dealing with the emotions of everything this is a motherfucker who you love and you see his death you see how he dies that is painful she is screaming this man gets up off the floor and he runs the fuck out 
Rightfully so. So all of this is the shit that happens like right before the opening of uh, season of Sundial episode one. She's trying to talk to him and he runs away, which proves what her mom said. He would never love you when he finds out what you is. Uh, so mama come home later. We see her take off her coat, walk in and she see Jiha on her knees in a robe crying in front of a fireplace. And Jiha's like, man, I need you. Like, what the fuck? Like, I'm going through this shit. Atticus left me. So her mama hugs her. And that's what I say, even with the mom, where she was such a big bad and a villain this whole time, now, it's like, though she did this shit, she still, it's, it's still her mother. I didn't have a mom who was, like, very evil and mean and abusive. So I can't relate 100%, but I can understand even being upset with your mom and still wanting that love from your mom like she just cut into her mama like a couple scenes before like bitch you don't love me and you could and i don't know why the fuck you don't because i'm awesome the fuck and so and now her mom's embrace her she's the one who she has to lean on so then we cut to them in like this big snowy field we see a fox which is symbolic of the fox of nine tails monster thing then we go and see we go and see this chick this asian woman of a certain age she's up there she giving you Neo, she giving you Runway, she giving you uh, Asian garb, but make it, uh, I don't know, high fashion? No, that's not it, but make it something. She's giving you uh, White Queen from the X-Men. Uh, she like she giving you a lot of shit. She got this little bucket hat and shit. Like, she fly as fuck. I liked it. So, Mama and her is talking in uh, the, sh- the Shaman, that's what she is. She's like... You really coming to me asking for more magical favors when you haven't even fulfilled the requirement of the first one? Like, this chick only took 99 men. Where is the 100th man? And also, understand that no magic comes without a price. What do you want? G.I.'s like, look, I've never seen anything like this. I've encountered so many men. I need to know. I see his death. Will it come true? Shaman like, man, you ask that shit, it don't matter. You worrying about human shit is trivial. The same reason you, you call this motherfucker your mama. She ain't your mama, you a monster. So for me, I felt like, and, I, and, and let me know if you guys felt the same way. I felt like that was, like there were different questions you should have, you could have asked. Like you slept with 99 men and you've seen their lives from start to finish. You know how they died. You know how they lived. But to ask about Atticus... And to say, Will, is this the truth? Is this how he dies? It's like, but couldn't you say something like, how do I save him? How do I get to him? Like, to be like, is it true? It's like, chick, it doesn't, at this point, it doesn't fucking matter. Because if it ain't true, then he's fine. And if it is true, what are you going to do? Which, what, are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? So, I don't know. But then again, at the same time, I guess because she has slept with 99 guys and murdered them, and he's the one that got away, I can see where that would be a good question. But that to me, that's a follow-up question. I'm more like, how do I save this motherfucker from dying? And also, like, I don't know. I just, that wouldn't be my first mind to ask that. Okay, so, critiques. Um, there was some concern about... His relationship, Atticus' relationship with uh, Jihad versus his relationship with Letty. Um, 
I think initially I felt the same way. As you listen to the episode with me and Cole talking about Atticus and his capacity to love and him and uh, Letty getting together, what it is that they're doing, what they're about. But then you see this flashback episode where he was very much romantic and intimate and into his feelings and kind of knew what he wanted. I'm not making excuses for him, but I think that even if this wasn't a magical, fantastical world, if the woman you lost your virginity to, who was essentially the first love, well, maybe, we don't know if his first love, maybe he loved Letty as a kid, but as far as we know, the first love of your life, you're going to act a bit differently if that person turns a gun on you and you survive. You're like, damn, bitch, I loved you and you turned a gun on me? But not even a gun. This is like some mystical shit where she got tails coming out of her body. So this is not to make an excuse for Atticus, but I feel like he's very much in PTSD mode in episode one. And not just from the war and not just from Jihad, but just from his life overall. So I'm not making any excuses. I still think he could have been a bit more um, delicate, not delicate, a bit better in his relationship, physical and otherwise with Letty. Uh, you all let me know what you think. Use the hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath. Um, I like this episode. I did. I like that we got something different. Because I feel like if you watch this and you marathon it through from episode 1 to episode 10, I think this is just a good benchmark that the tide is shifting. We were dealing with all this magical, mystical shit before. But I also love that in this episode we get... Asian people and we get Asian folks who deal in some sort of magic because uh, my theory and I'm sure everyone else's or mostly everyone is that every race in this universe has some connection to a type of magic because we get the Braithwaites and we get Christina and her dad and William and them and all the lodges we get a lot of white people and we get a lot of like wizardry and shit and it's easy I think to slip it to that being the dominant magical thing. Like, oh, of course, white people, you know, their majority of what we're seeing and they're the ones with the magic and this and that. But I think when we got that lady, um, and, I, and forgive me, I forget what her title was, but the one who Letty called, who was her mom's friend, that gave us a glimpse into, yes, black people have their own magic as well. And then we get this episode with the shaman where homegirl fucking summoned a goddamn monster into the body of Jihad. Like, so yeah, I would think that we all have magic. So, hell, I mean, are we going to get a, a, a Latin magician? Like, I, I want to know. I think that's a good way to expand on this world that the book started and, and, and um, deviating from the book, but in a way that's true to the story now. So I feel like if we just follow the book, start to finish, we still have a good show. But establishing that there is more than just white people with magic, that there are other people who can practice magic as well, but then grounded very much in a 1950s, 55 America, that's 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 a lot. That gives you a lot to work with. And then next episode, we're getting Hippolyta and, and some more Ruby, I believe. And Hippolyta, that's the story I've been fucking waiting on because she finna, she finna fuck all you motherfuckers up. So anybody who was bored by this, trust and believe, y'all best not say nothing this next Sunday. Because I, tuh, Hippolyta finna, finna fuck it up. <laughs> so, um, I know, I, I enjoyed it. I like this episode. Um, my favorite character of this episode, I would have to say... 
probably Jiha. Like she, I really enjoyed seeing Jamie Chung, Chung, excuse me, uh, start from the real world. Now we here, you know, reality TV show girl was made it. Um, her, her acting was phenomenal. She did what she had to do. She was beautiful. The entire, every fucking scene, this motherfucker was gorgeous. I will say that her look, I don't know if it was intentional. I think it was, but if you look at her versus the other nurses, just in their hair alone, Jiha is very different. To me, she gives a letty. She has a letty quality about her. Every time this motherfucker dresses, she dresses. Her hairstyle was very close to the short, kind of wavy, curled up look that uh, Letty has. And that's not lost on me. There has to be something there. Because out of all of the looks you could have gone for, especially if we're talking about um, an Asian character in the 1950s, there, there's a ton of other looks you could have gone with. And you could say she, her American propaganda, her American movie watching maybe influenced that. And I'm fine with that as well. But you cannot deny that it's very similar to Letty. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's really good. Um, so my favorite character would have to be Jiha. I think she, she gave you everything. She gave you anger. She gave you happiness. She gave you sadness. Um, she gave you looks. She gave you frustration and she sold it. She gave you friendship, love. Like, she gave you everything. And then concern for our main character at the end. Like, though she did love him and probably still does. Like, at the end, she was like, does this shit come true? Is my dude finna die? The man I'm in love with, does he die? Is it true? So, <clears throat> like, and she's dealing with a lot. Like, I think this is the first character, and I might be talking out of my ass. But this might be the first character where, like, okay, so we got Letty and her shit with the haunted house. So we can assume that she can, you know, talk to the dead. Or can, you know, at least has some sort of relationship with them. And then her mom was kind of mystical too. So she has that. And we got Ruby. But the thing that Ruby is dealing with was kind of thrusted upon her with the potion. And then you have George is gone. Montrose is dealing with his demons. I think Jiha is the first person who... Oh, I can't say physically. I was going to say physically is inhabited by or inhabits a magical thing. Though Ruby's was through a potion, she still dealt with that. Um, I mean, there's something I'm trying to say that I don't have the words for at this moment, but there's something different about Jiha than we've gotten with other characters. I'm really interested to see if she gets to Chicago. Um, what does that look like if she does? Not just the like love triangle that could possibly be, I don't give a fuck about that, but just with the magical shit, how could she assist? Is she even able to leave? Um, what was the cost of her getting that half-assed answer from the shaman? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And so as a, as a favorite scene, shit, I don't even know. Um, prob honestly, all of those scenes with her and Atticus. Because I feel like they did, they had good chemistry on, on set. They... Uh, the story they told just by acting was really good. And I like seeing this romance because, you know, quite as it's kept, this one episode could have been spread out into four or five or a whole season of a show. Like the shit that they went through and dealt with could be a whole show in itself. And I think this one hour wrapped everything up very nicely, gave us all the kind of pretty much this was a prequel. This was a prequel episode in the middle of a season. So, all the uh, scenes with them, too, I enjoyed. Um, 
I don't know, y'all. Let me know what you think. What are your feelings? Um, how you feel about the season so far? Who was your favorite character? What was your favorite scene? How do we feel about Jiha? If you don't like her, that's fine. If you like her, cool too. But use that hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath and let me know. Feel me in. Can you feel me in? I want to know what's up with you. Can you feel me? <laughs> so let me know. Um, hit me up on Twitter. Carefree Blurred is my handle. Everywhere else, Carefree Black Nerd. If you'd like to leave a voice note, get your voice on the show. You, um, email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Um, yeah, say it. Just uh, a shout out to all my co-hosts I've had over the course of this season and all the ones I will have uh, towards the end. I'm looking at doing some sort of live streaming, maybe a pregame or a post discussion. And we'll leave that for like episode 10, like a big bang finale, go out with a bang. Uh, so let me know if you would be interested in watching that. If you made this far, give me a hashtag, uh, LCC pod live show, hashtag LCC pod live show. And let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Uh, maybe streaming on, I don't know, YouTube or Facebook or something. We're going to figure it out. Uh, but all that being said, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you all for watching the show with me. Thank you for the live tweets, for getting them jokes off and stuff. And I will see you guys here next time. Same Lovecraft time, same country station, and I'm out.